What can a mother and daughter teach us about the practice of medicine and about leadership in the healthcare realms? Let's talk with physician, podcaster, and leadership expert, Patty Fay, and her daughter, fourth-year medical student, Jamie Katuna, right here on episode 295 of The Nurse Keith Show. Hey there, this is Nurse Keith. In these days of the COVID-19 pandemic, we're disseminating as much high-quality, evidence-based information and expert opinion as we can in our monthly COVID-19 podcast episodes. Meanwhile, we still want to support you in your personal and professional development by discussing salient issues of the day. I love having you along for the ride, whether you're new to the show or you've been on this journey with me for months or maybe even years. Thanks for being part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. This podcast is all about you, your nursing and healthcare career, healthcare writ large, and I'm here to share education, ideas, diatribes, and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, nursing, entrepreneurship, education, medicine, and beyond. This episode is brought to you by EHR Go. Go is a simulated electronic health record with a catalog of realistic and diverse patient care scenarios included. Go helps educators teach a human-centered approach to technology in healthcare. Find out more at healthpodcastnetwork.com forward slash go Keith. That's healthpodcastnetwork.com forward slash go Keith. I thank EHR Go for their generous support of the Nurse Keith Show. And remember that Nurse Keith Coaching is your one-stop shop for all things related to your nursing and healthcare career. Head over to nursekeith.com and shoot me an email at keith at nursekeith.com and you can get 10% off your first coaching package. Shameless plug. The show notes for this episode, which you're going to want to check out, will be at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 295, which I can't believe we're actually there. Today, we're joined by new friends of the pod, Jamie Katuna and Dr. Patty Fay, and we're going to get to your bios in due course during our conversation, but I kind of like to dive right into the, the fire. So if you all want to jump into the deep end with me, that would be great. Those are mixed metaphors, deep end and fire, but you get the idea. Okay. So Jamie, I want to ask you first, because we met first some years ago and you were on one of my other podcasts, Mastering Nursing, back in the day. So my first question to you, Jamie, is what's the first awesome thing that comes to mind when you think about having a physician mom who inspires you to think deeply about this career that you're just about to embark on as you finish your fourth year of medical school? Well, I think you just said the awesome thing about having a physician mom who inspires me to embark deeply <laughs> within my <laughs> medical career. That's exactly it. That's the best part about having a physician mom. I do have classmates who are the first people in their medical school class to go, or I mean, the first people in their family to go through medical school. And that's inspiring in its own right, of course. Sure. But the the thing that I love about having a physician mother is the uh, sort of someone else to, who can walk that walk and kind of give me the ins and outs of the, um, of the profession. And especially the way that she does it, who, you know, she went through clinical medicine and then leadership, and she's a big advocate for physician autonomy and kind of cares about the big issues within healthcare. It's sort of planted that seed for, for me to care about those things. And it's, it's kind of broadened my scope of the things that I I think about within medicine. And so I don't feel like my, my journey through medicine will be as myopic if, as it would have otherwise without kind of my mom, um, not intentionally guiding that journey, but sort of just by her own experience guiding that journey. So, so in a sense, Jamie, you're saying like, rather than having a myopic view, a narrow view, your mom to continue the metaphor of myopia is it's like, she's given you different lenses to look through at your new profession. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's perfect. I think there are, it would be so easy to go through medical school and medicine, just um, focusing on the patients in front of you and learning the practice of medicine and learning about the care. And um, I think in, I don't know, maybe a hundred years ago, that would be a totally fair way to go through medicine. But I think in the industry that ha that it has become now where, you know, like finances and financial structures matter and who's leading the 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 culture of medicine and who's leading the industry of medicine, that stuff matters. And, and reimbursement policies and direct primary care and just kind of all these things that um, I don't really know a way for medical students to know about them. 
you know, but I got, I got really lucky about someone who cares about these topics and, and works within these topics right in my family. So yeah, definitely. Right. You're lucky she gave birth to you. So it's like, it's great. It's perfect. Perfect arrangement. <laughs> Set up perfectly for me. <laughs> so Patty, as the, as the amazing woman who gave birth to an amazing daughter and having your own career in medicine, and we'll talk about your work in leadership development too. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about having this daughter who is a future medical colleague and peer? Yeah, well, I admire Jamie. And I think that she is so special as a student, so uh, driven to understand. She has so much, I think, intellectual curiosity, and then she can turn around and translate that for other people. She, she has really, I think, helped keep uh, her dad, who's also a physician, and me up to date on things that she's fascinated about and pointed to us to, uh, you know, podcasts and books and articles and a different way to interpret data. Um, and she's even had some sympathy, I think, for us and the crazy things that we did uh, maybe 15, 20 years ago when <laughs> everything was different. Uh, you know, when uh, it was a, a good thing to eat Triscuits and potato chips, that would all be, you know, better than uh, eating a, a T-bone steak. So I think she's kept us so informed. And I, I really admire that, just that intellectual drive that she has. And you mentioned her leadership. And, and that's probably the thing I would want to especially point to because with Jamie, it's like Nike, you know, just do it. She jumps in. She'll put herself in harm's way in the interest of mm-hmm. uh, understanding something or leading something that's important to her. She gave a, like a rap, a talk to a, a group of functional medicine folks at a convention, and she stood up in front of them and performed a uh, spoken word, kind of a rap, you know, and, and I just think that kind of courage to me is so impressive. Wow. Well, that's so true. And Jamie, you are courageous. And I first, we first met on Instagram because I found your Instagram feed, um, Speak Out Medicine. And you were sharing some of your spoken word and also your journey through medical school. And you were responsible for introducing me to Dr. Ted O'Connell. I've been on his pod and he's been on mine. And I'm now part of his podcast network, Ars Longa Media, which I bet Patty belongs in there too. So we'll have to talk to Ted about that. But you brought us together. You brought Ted and I together. And what I've noticed in your journey through social media and through your website is that you ask a lot of questions. You question a lot of what you see out there. And I, it's been fascinating, you know, in your Instagram stories as well, just to watch the progression of your, your learning and also the challenges you've been through in school, you know, the exhaustion and the, the, the amount of information that you need to soak up is absolutely astronomical. So how are you feeling as you come to the close of your fourth year, right? This is, we're getting towards the end of year four. How does it feel? Uh, well, yeah, thank you for that. I do think that is something that we talked about last time where sort of like the the popular conception of how people like to portray themselves on social media from within medicine is just nowhere near what the experience is really like. And so it is sometimes refreshing to see some people say like, this is really hard and this doesn't seem logical and this is inefficient. So, and I, and I think the, the people who I've been able to connect with on there kind of share that authenticity or, or honesty in their experience, which is kind of nice to have a group of people who don't want to sugarcoat it. Um, I feel great with regards to being kind of done with what I think is the most, um, I don't know, the most kind of hazing type part of Mm -hmm. medicine, maybe like the part that it's hard to connect with why it will be relevant in the future, which I know there's a case to be made that it it definitely is. And, you know, like we, we need to go through that, but there's something nice to know that what is in front of me is more clinical based or hospital based where I'll be doing the things that I'll be doing in the future. So it's nice. And to be done with the board exams that are pretty mentally demanding. I I can't even imagine. (laughs) I just can't even fathom it. 
Yeah. Yeah. And there's a great guy on, on Twitter, um, Bill uh, Carmody, I think. Mm-hmm. I really, I can't remember his first name, who is just such a good advocate for medical students and kind of talking about the beast that the board exams have become and that the, like the race to um, like uh, application inflation. So like people used to apply to, you know, 10 to 12 programs, the ones that they wanted to go to, but now people will be applying to 140 just because everyone's applying to 140. And so he really lays out that data in a way that, that kind of displays how ridiculous this whole process has become. Yeah. We'll have to make sure that's in the show notes. Is it K-A-R-M-O-D-Y? I think I've come across. Yeah. We'll have to circle back about that. But we, yeah, he's pretty yeah, special. And you know, Ted O'Connell, Dr. Ted O'Connell was one of your one of your professors, and he and I spoke on either his show or my show. I can't remember about the rigors of me- medical school, and he tries mm-hmm. to instill in his residents and students that they can actually have a life, like they can actually not subs- not have everything subsumed by medical training. So I hope right. you. I I note from your how you're so authentic about your life that you do try to have some fun and, and get out and actually see the world once in a while as well. Yeah. You know? <laughs> now you're, you're headed towards, let me see. So you did a rotation with direct primary care and you're headed towards emergency medicine. If I recall correctly, Is that right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yes. And Patty, have you practiced emergency medicine? No. Were you in? I'm in. No. I'm an internist. So you're an internist. Mm -hmm. So have you um, (laughs) have you tried to influence Jamie's choices around where she heads in medicine? You know, I love the fact that she is uh, aiming for emergency medicine. I think that that Mm -hmm. really suits her, and um, I think it's I think it's a great choice. But I don't know if I've tried to influence her, so she could probably speak to that. Yeah, Jamie, what is it? What is it about emergency medicine? And did internal medicine call you at all during these last four years? Um, I was really impressed with how knowledgeable all the IM doctors mm-hmm. were. Um, I didn't love kind of like the the flow of the day or the pace of it, um, and I also didn't love being in clinic most of the mm-hmm. time, which they do both. Um, I think I have really strong opinions about sort of um, nutrition and, and chronic disease. And I kind of really do think so, so, so many things that ails us in this day and age is nutrition based. Mm-hmm. And I think I would have a hard time um, practicing a lot of things because I would want to relate them back to nutrition and prevention um, rather than disease management. Mm-hmm. I kind of wouldn't believe in what I was doing. So emergency medicine was one of the only places where um, that wasn't as relevant or it's not relevant, you know, kind of like what comes in, you stabilize it quickly and, and, and kind of figure out a way to do the job right there in front of you. And what I also love about emergency medicine is kind of like what we were talking about before. I think it opens up more time and space for me to pursue a bunch of other avenues that I'm really um, passionate about, like advocacy and, and leadership and nutrition even. And it has sort of a, a concise schedule where it shifts and you work the things that you need to work. And then I think I can, it will give me an opportunity to practice medicine in a way that I believe in and that I like and um, help me kind of come into uh, different interests that are tangential to, to medicine as well. I love that. Yeah. And to really dig into the, the nutritional and lifestyle aspects, you would need to practice in functional medicine or something, something where you can influence people more, you know, more deeply. And that's a yeah. whole, it's a whole yeah. other area to, totally. to go into. Yeah. And have conversations and take your, take your time and do a lot of teaching and education and, mm-hmm. and things like that. Yeah. Sort of my vision has been like as an EM doc with like a small, small panel of my own patients who I, who I practice kind of, kind of a more functional or nutrition based type of medicine as well. That sounds, that sounds great. And, um, sounds very prudent to, to kind of see if you can straddle both worlds. And speaking of nutrition, you know, George, the cat just made an appearance. He, (laughs) you you all can see him here. He loves to chew on the microphone and the pop filter and (laughs) he's, you know, his nutritional um, recommendation is like just sardines, like just go for the sardines (laughs) and everything is fine. And, one of his fans sent him a can of sardines not that long ago in the mail. So he's, he's very lucky. Anyway, he's the mascot here. So Patty, um, Jamie mentioned leadership and you're a leadership expert in the realm of medicine and healthcare. And you work with people from 
all aspects of healthcare leadership, executives, physicians, et cetera. And Fay Consulting is an organization of, it's a small organization, correct? Right. I have one colleague, Lynn Elliott. She, That's right. She's the other half of our small but mighty firm. That's right. And I saw her on the website and you have a new podcast. I just listened to episode eight, I believe it is, or episode nine, nine. which was really wonderful. Um, with a woman who has been running Denver Health for some time. And it was a great conversation with her. So when you think about medicine and you think about, let's say, Jamie coming into the medical world, you know, and the acorn doesn't fall too far from the tree. And how, how do you see leadership in the medical realms changing in the 21st century? What has changed and what are the changes you are really looking at that you feel are essential right now? I'd say the, the biggest focus that I have has been on fanning the flames of physician leadership, really encouraging my colleagues to pick up the mantle of leadership, to take on the leadership roles. And, mm. uh, and that's really the purpose of my podcast is to talk about uh, leadership and physician leadership and the importance of moving the people that have more of, I call it the BSM, the business school mindset, moving the folks with the BSM uh, out of the top leadership roles because it has such a pervasive and harmful effect, I think, on healthcare organizations. And uh, the more research that I did on some of the, the business school uh, training and mindset and managerialism, the more I believe it actually has a, a, a fairly toxic effect on, uh, on our society in general, a lot of different um, institutions and, and structures. So for me, the big thing is, right. is really getting clinical leadership in place, uh, having physicians understand that, uh, that the people in the organization are uh, every bit as important as the patients that you know, that, that we are taking care of and that they are taking care of and how critical it is to create a super organizational culture where people are, are not in a threat state and where they can bring their best thinking to work, where they can use their prefrontal mm -hmm. cortex. It's not unplugged by having some tyrant at work or even just being, even if it's not a, a tyrant in a position of leadership, it can be the fact that physicians and nurses and others are treated like commodities, like we're interchangeable. They're cannon fodder. Yeah. You just put them on the front lines and wow. burn them out and then you replace them with somebody else. Well, I think that really became uh, highly visible, uh, especially on the, mm -hmm. in the first few months of, of COVID, just how uh, ca Absolutely. callous the, some of the leadership was. It's, it, it was shocking. Mm -hmm. It was even shocking to me. And I have strong opinions about, um, you know, the need for us to have leadership that has a lot of understanding of the profession itself and has a lot yeah. of tacit knowledge of what's going on in healthcare that they can bring into the leadership position. Yeah, and leadership and organizational culture are not mutually exclusive. They, they have to work hand in glove. And you may be familiar, or maybe not with my friend, Dr. Renee Thompson. She no. is the the leader of the Healthy Workforce Institute. So you might want to connect with them. They're doing work around organizational culture as well. Mm -hmm. She's one of the leaders in the world actually on eradicating bullying and incivility from nursing and healthcare. So that's a whole, that's a whole nother conversation. And yes. she's been on the show before. And I'm I'd like to introduce you to because you you I think you see through very similar lenses. And so in, in essence, in terms of, of your work and the ways in which you bring that work out into the world, on Twitter, you call yourself a maniac for great organizational culture. And I just started following you on Twitter recently. And it sounds like through your podcast, Licensed to Lead, you're also you're leading physicians into this space of thinking of themselves as leaders, of bring, coming forward more. And like you said, taking the business school aspect out of, out of healthcare leadership and bringing clinicians in. So when we're creating a culture like this, how, how do we bring 
physicians and other stakeholders in so that they're actually going to be looking at this through through a similar through a similar viewpoint because we're we're coming from a lot of different places so how do you knit this together when you're trying to create a cohesive culture uh, i'd like to address your uh, comment about the uh, how the organizational culture and leadership how they're uh, how they are linked. And mm-hmm. I would probably even make a stronger statement there. I think the CEO mm-hmm. determines the organizational culture. That's how strongly and uh, uh, I see that connection. So the CEO is chosen usually by a board of directors. And then that individual has the ability to choose all of the top level leadership, everybody in mahogany role is chosen by that CEO and all of that trickles down to the rest of the organization. And if there's toxicity that's permitted, if the CEO or some of the folks on the team are tyrants, uh, if they've got a dim view of humanity, if they don't know what they're doing, if they're incompetent, if they're placeholders who make a huge salary uh, but are not competent, they're you know basically stealing from the organization, all of those things have a, a toxic impact and increase cynicism and uh, and it's just a lot of resources that are going that, that go to navigating uh, around and through and dealing with toxic leaders, and you lose good people. So excellent people jump ship. The barnacles, you know, people that don't have any place else to go, they have no options. They mm-hmm. they stick around, and you get a right. downward spiral of you, know, you can't recruit. The, the reputation goes down the down the drain, mm-hmm. and all of that. And and this is it's it's shocking in a way when you think about it, that one decision that the board makes, that CEO is really going to determine uh, you know, the future of the organization. And, and I think that's wow. so critical to, to think about that and understand that. That's an excellent point. So that's where the knitting happens, right? We have to start with the top. We have to make good decisions. Right. And then we have to create a culture kind of from the top down, but it can also be from the bottom up where we're those two ends meet and where we create a culture where there's cooperation and collaboration and thoughtfulness and, and like you said, a lack of toxicity. What do we replace that toxicity with? Is it collaboration? Is it kindness? What, what is it that knits it all together then? You know, I always say that the greatest gift you can give to a high performing physician or a high performing technician or nurse Mm -hmm. is allowing them to work alongside other high performers. And Mm -hmm. so I think Mm -hmm. what can knit it together is uh, a real belief in the mission of the organization, a belief that something wonderful can be accomplished for the other people in the organization and certainly for the patients and the community. and I like your idea about it coming from the bottom up as well, because I think it is possible for leaders uh, in the middle of the organization or uh, you know, local chiefs and uh, nursing supervisors to almost create a, a cone of protection. I think great leaders do that. They, Ooh, they, that's nice. Yeah, they might, they might be dealing with uh, toxicity from above, but they love their people. They love the mm-hmm. patients. They know what the right thing to do is, and they protect their uh, group or their team from the toxicity. And then if you get a new CEO in, you get a new leadership team, then you can start to see those pieces come together. You've already got some excellent leaders that have created uh, little, you know, little clusters of, uh, of a better organizational culture in spots in the organization. And mm-hmm. then you can put in you know, systemic structures from the top. Right. So it's like subcultures within the overarching mm-hmm. culture. So Jamie, taking what your mom just said around that cone of protection, which I think you need to trademark that, Patty, um, <laughs> unless you already did. Um, so Jamie, thinking about that cone of protection, thinking about the, the big overarching culture of, say, a large healthcare system, if you become an emergency medicine doctor in a big system, and then you have all these subcultures, and you're coming in as a new physician. How has all this influenced you and how are you thinking about navigating coming in as a fresh doc? And and I know you look at systems with a critical eye because of your videos and what I've read that you've written. So what do you want to bring to the table when you 
emerge into this profession? It's already sort of influenced um, how much I, I care about it and where I would be going. So we kind of had like preliminary interviews on some of my sub-internships in emergency medicine where um, the program director would get together with the, the four or five of us that were there at that time and we could ask him questions and he would t- sell us on the program and that type of things. And when he asked if there was any other questions, you know, some of the other students are, are kind of saying like, uh, what fellowships do you offer and mm-hmm. kind of what's uh, how much weeks of vacation and I was asking, like, who is running your physician group? How do you guys get along with the administration? What was it like during COVID? Do you guys feel like you have autonomy? Like, really cutting questions where it almost felt like I was uh, kind of like, uh, I don't know, putting them off a little bit. You know, I, was, I care about this stuff well, good for because you. I've been convinced how much, it, how much it would really matter. And I would not want to go to a place that has hostile interactions with their administration. And I want a place, I care a lot about a place that it's physician-led or at least has someone in the leadership role that has clinical experience and can, can relate to the em- employees. Um, but I do think about that cone of protection concept a lot, actually. Um, my mom has said that before. And so even if I do, I mean, and I'm sure as a resident, there's going to be a lot of times where I feel like my autonomy is threatened and I don't really mm-hmm. like the rules that are imposed of me, but um, it sort of inspired me to like, maybe I can lead by example or be a type of leader who makes it at least better for the people around me, you know, um, and kind of provide, even if I'm in a position where I'm subservient to a lot of people that at least I can do a little bit to make life less miserable. I I can try to take on some leadership qualities, even if I'm not in an official leadership position. Absolutely. Because leaders, leaders happen in many different levels of an organization, right? There's there's CEOs and big leaders who lead from the top down or they're, they're servant leaders or they lead from behind, right, Patty? I mean, there's all these different types of leaders and leadership psychology. And, you know, Ted and I, Ted O'Connell and I talked about about nurses and physicians and how to work together. And he was talking about how, you know, newer doctors and residents and fellows can look to the really seasoned nurses who've been on the floor for 45 years and and actually tap their knowledge and and bring draw them out and even if the physician has let's say 18 months of experience professionally and the nurse has let's say 45 years that physician is still in the hierarchy is above the nurse quote unquote but the physician can still can still tap that nurse's knowledge and help him or her feel feel important and feel like they're contributing. So, Jamie, it sounds like you want to come in and and be a would you call it a change agent or at least um, a a culture a culture ambassador in a way of trying to bring something fresh into organizations. Um. I would love that. I like the concept of a culture ambassador, um, sort mm-hmm. of like leading by example, calling out people who do um, kind of do the hierarchical thing with the other professions and stuff. Yeah, I think that would be great. And I think it would be self-serving too, like because that would be the part of the culture that, or culture that I would actually want to be a part of. So if I had, a, if I had an option to contribute to making that happen, I would, I would certainly want to do that. Yeah, that, that actually brings me to a, a quote, which actually has become a cliche, but cliches are cliches because they have meaning. We just use them a lot, right? So, you know, that that quote, well, we won't call it a, we won't pejoratively just name it a cliche, that quote that says, you know, be the change you'd like to see in the world. So if you come into an organization and you want to see and be part of a culture that's positive and supportive and compassionate and empathic and functional and we could say non-toxic, <laughs> um, then you can actually model that for others, right? Right. And I, yeah, and I think what the advantage of having my mom's mindset around me is, is like I kind of can know what to look out for a little bit. Um, she, has, she has an acronym, CARB, Clarity, Autonomy, Respect, and Belonging, and kind of what, hmm. what people act like when they don't have it. Um, and so I can kind of keep an eye out for that stuff or like are people leaving are people complaining about leadership do people feel like they like they're doing a bunch of busy work that they don't want to be doing and so i think i have a i don't know i kind of have a cheat code at how to assess the culture and kind of through her experience knowing that like it's not stagnant like that like things can be done 
to change a culture around like that. It's not just like, oh, well, this is how medicine is. This is how residency mm-hmm. is. You know, I, I kind of have a, there's something in the back of my brain that it's like, this is how it is because it's like this now, but it, it's not inherent to, to the culture of medicine. Yeah. I once, I once wrote an article called, the, I think it was called the, the seven most dangerous words in healthcare. I think it was seven, um, which is basically, that's the way we've always done it. You know, something you know along my, those lines. Uh, <laughs> my mom used to have a magnet with that phrase on it. Exactly. Yeah. I'll have to send you all that article if I can find it somewhere. So when we come back to the, from the break, I want to talk more about, you know, the mother daughter dynamic in medicine, but Patty, I also want to want to dig into the physician shortage and also your curriculum. You, the curriculum you mentioned around focusing around neuroscience and that, that connection between leadership and neuroscience and, and all the other ways in which you, you look at this. So we'll be right back for the second half of Nurse Keith's show, episode 295. So now we're going to take a pause for the cause for just a moment to thank our generous sponsor, EHR Go. Listeners, does technology and healthcare education sometimes feel like the tail wagging the dog? You should check out EHR Go. Go uses case-based learning to teach a human-centered approach to technology and healthcare education. With over 300 multifaceted patient cases presented in a realistic, simulated electronic health record, Go helps students build clinical judgment skills while also learning to effectively document within an EHR. When working in Go, students must evaluate and organize competing healthcare needs into levels of urgency while making simple to complex clinical judgments about their patient care, just like in real life. Used in all educational healthcare disciplines, Go can be used within or between programs and is the ideal platform for interprofessional education. Web-based with no software to download or maintain, Go can be used on any computer or browser for in-person learning or for remote or hybrid lessons. Go is the only educational platform that puts human care at the heart of technology. Learn more about Go by visiting healthpodcastnetwork.com forward slash Go Keith. That's healthpodcastnetwork.com forward slash Go Keith. And I thank EHR Go for their generous support. Speaking of support, please consider becoming a patron of The Nurse Keith Show, just like other listeners who value the show so much, they want to give just a little bit each month to support the work we're doing here. And when you pledge, you not only get the satisfaction of helping produce and support the show, you also get some pretty cool premiums and gifts from me. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Nurse Keith. Also, please consider signing up for my monthly newsletter at nursekeith.com. I promise it's a quick read with just enough information to give you something to think about and some relevant content to explore as you wish. Finally, if someone you know could benefit from career coaching with me, please consider referring them. And if they become a paying client, you'll receive credit for an hour of coaching with me and there's no expiration date, so you can use that credit anytime you like. And you can refer as many people as possible and continue to earn coaching credits. I think that's an amazing deal. Those are my sincere asks of you, dear listener. So now let's dig back into today's topic. And welcome back to the second half of the episode. Please remember the show notes will be at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 295. We're here again with Jamie Katuna and Patty Fay. And thank you all both for being here. And we could do this for hours and we're just going to have to have you all back. That's the way it just has to be. But Jamie, we were just talking about being a change agent, being a cultural ambassador within an organization. And asking the difficult questions that it sounds like you've been very good at doing when the other residents are asking, you know, other types of questions, which are important too. But I know, I know from just observing you in the social space and online that you, you want to cut to the chase. Like you want to, you call your work, speak out medicine. And I think that says a lot about you, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's a great, voice to bring into into this particular world. And Patty, 
based on what we were talking about before the break about leadership and about physicians, and you were also talking about attrition, you know, how poor toxic cultures lead to attrition, and then we have shortages, and then we're short staffed, and then organizations can't bring in the talent that they want, right? Because their reputation tanks. So you you said in the notes that you sent me that there is a physician shortage and there's there are some things we can do about this. So what are some of your ideas, especially relating to physician leadership, that we can do so that we draw more people into medical practice and bring them into to leadership roles? What can we actually do? You know, I think one of the concerns that people frequently raise with me is, Patty, how can you be talking about getting physicians into positions of leadership when we're facing a physician shortage? And for me, Mm -hmm. that's almost the biggest argument to make sure that we Uh, get physicians into positions of leadership so that they can manage the organization uh, and uh, and have an impact on the organizational culture. There's a a researcher, Amanda Goodall, who has done a number of studies and has really, in a way, uh, ignited uh, many other people to be looking at this. But she was the first one to take a look at the, uh, the kind of the results of physician leadership. So she looked at the U.S. News and World Reports uh, over uh, many years, she's repeated the studies, and she made the point that about 5% of organizations uh, and healthcare systems and hospitals are run by physicians, 5 or 6%. But when you get to the U.S. News and World Reports top 100 hospitals, and there's hundreds of top 100 hospitals because they look at cancer and heart disease and GI and all that, uh, when you look mm-hmm. at those, uh, the number of physician CEOs are very overrepresented. So about 50% of the top 100 hospitals are led by physician CEOs. They have, uh, you know, better outcomes. That's why they're in the, you know, on the list, on the top 100 list. And other work that uh, Goodall has done shows that when an organization is led by somebody who's an expert uh, in the field, so they're, um, have expertise in the core business that uh, it sort of uh, raises the water level, you know, raises um, uh, the morale, raises Mm -hmm. the outcomes for everybody. So the staff and employees uh, are um, more likely to have increased autonomy because, you know, physicians want the nurses to be really happy and the better the nurses are or the technicians or um, whoever it might be, the, the, happier they are, the more likely the high performers are to stay, it's a lot better for the physicians. I mean, it's, it's absolutely important. And, and so you should tell this story about Kelly. Yeah, I tell you this one. So I lived with uh, an ICU RN for four years uh, and, um, and I stay in touch with her. And mm-hmm. I actually, she's an RN. I run the podcast Spire, see you know, what she thinks, what she makes of these perspectives. But Kelly was um, uh, in an organization for almost 30 years, I think 29 years. And uh, at one point, it was a crazy day in the ICU. And one of her colleagues asked her if she would transport a patient uh, for her at the, end of, at the end of Kelly's shift. And, and uh, she said, Sure, she would help out. So she took the unstable patient down for some procedure and came back 40 minutes later and then clocked out. And the next day she got a disciplinary action against her. She got written up for clocking out 40 minutes late. Mm. Um, and, and that's the sort of thing that is going to happen in an environment where the supervisor is not clinical or the supervisor if he or she is clinical, they're, they're probably reporting to somebody who's got a business school mindset and, you know, they're just looking at, uh, you know, the budget mm-hmm. and... And Kelly left the organization shortly thereafter, didn't she? Yeah. Yeah, she did. That's how it kind of relates back to the the physician shortage. And then, but also excellent nurses, staff. excellent technicians, just staffing shortages. Mm-hmm. It's like this heinous culture where, you know, you get reprimanded for doing more than you were supposed to do, being, you know... Um, 
you get reprimanded. And so it, like, why, why would anybody stay in a culture like that? And to me, it makes so much sense that she would say like, my, my efforts, my generosity isn't being valued here. I'm, I'm leaving, you know? And right. I think physicians go through that same thing. There's all right. these organizations of, that advertise to physicians for these like non-clinical jobs or non-medical jobs. And you can be, I don't know, you can be a consultant to a TV show that uses medical stuff and they just need to not like all these things that are like just helping people jump ship because of this ridiculous culture that is put Mm -hmm. in place by the business school mindset. Well, well said. Yeah. The bean counters who are Mm -hmm. just watching, you know, to use that pejorative, just watching the numbers and imagine if Kelly had done that and her colleague who she helped had gone to the manager and said, you know, Kelly just went above and beyond. And then the, the, the manager over that manager came down and said, Hey, Kelly, you're, you're such an entrepreneur. You know, you really like, you really go the extra mile to help folks. And, you know, we know you went 40 minutes over and you clocked out late and that's not really the issue. The issue here is that, that you really did something to help. And that unstable patient could have coded on your way down in the elevator and you would have been, you know, you would have been right there with that patient to, to help them and help save them. Absolutely. So imagine if it had turned upside down and Kelly had had the opposite experience. And then she was writing on social media about how, what an incredible place I work for. Like I just did a little thing and they just, they just took it and ran with it and said, you know, what, what an amazing contribution right. I've made. <laughs> right. And that's what I think physician leaders bring to the table that no matter how good of people they are, people who went through business school, they just don't have that sort of understanding of everyone's role within the system and why they, why they're important and why they benefit each other. And like, and why bean counting, like you said, is, is just totally counter to the, the job that needs to be, to be done. You know, right. Yeah. Kelly had a ethical obligation, you know, to really, that is, that's what her obligation is. And that's where her uh, commitment was at the time and, and to her team. She'd made all the right decisions and was penalized for it. And, and we see that so much. And we lose such good people. We lose such good talent. And, you know, a large portion of new nurses leave the profession within the first two to three years because they get beaten down. There's bullying. There's incivility. There's some forms of hazing that, that really amount to bullying or even discrimination or harassment. And we lose people who... <laughs> You know, if an organization onboards a nurse, that costs tens of thousands of dollars in person hours or or resources and onboarding a physician even more. So why wouldn't we want to keep these people and and beat back the attrition and and retain people because we've invested in them and then we want them to invest in us, right, Patty? Yeah, I mean it's an unbelievable amount of money that's left on the table. And that's a crass way to put it, but uh, it, it also points to the incompetence of the, you know, the people who have the managerialism mindset, the business school mindset, that they don't understand that they are making it impossible to have excellent financial outcomes even. Yes. But probably turnover of a physician uh, is close to a million dollars if you look at all the costs. and. Sure. Uh, the turnover of a ICU RN is probably a half a million. Most likely. Uh, you know, if you really look at all the ramifications, right. all the impact. The reverberations of the attrition of one highly skilled expert person, right? That yep. takes a lot to replace Absolutely. them. Right. Right. So, Jamie, you mentioned to me prior about your rotation with indirect primary care. And you said that something about that rotation relates directly to your mom's, um, what you said, what your mom talks about religiously, which is this notion of autonomy. So what, what was your experience on that rotation? And was it a, is this a positive experience that relates or is it a different story? It's a really positive experience. Oh, go it's for just, it. yeah. So it's a physician who, um, is so industrious and, mm-hmm. and kind of I don't know what's the resourceful, I guess. Mm-hmm. She's kind of figuring stuff out herself. So she left a hospital system that when I told my mom, who is familiar with that hospital system, which one she left, my mom said, oh, that place is evil. So she left a <laughs> really, a really, apparently a very poor um, organizational culture, hmm. um, decided she want to work 
learn to work on her own. And just the level of autonomy that I've seen on her rotation is just incredible. She makes her own schedule. She, you know, she meets all her patients before choosing if she wants to take them on as patients. Mm-hmm. Um, she dispenses her own medications. She performs her own procedures. She writes her own notes. Like, she just does it all herself. Even one, one of the days on the rotation, because she's expanding her office, we went up and we painted the, the walls of her, of her new office mm. and, and space. Like she is just such a, I don't know, like a unit of autonomy. She, she does it all herself. She believes in herself. She doesn't think she's going to be dependent on insurance or managers or finance or anything. She just takes it all on. Um, and I think that is relatable to the thing that my mom loves so much, that concept of autonomy. Um, although my mom does kind of speak about it differently in that in an organization, I think my mom, um, you know, I think my mom is more like, let's transform cultures in organizations and industry and make sure that everyone in each of their, you know, respective roles has the autonomy that they need to get done what they should be doing. Um, whereas the physician I'm working with is just like, I'm taking all of the autonomy on my own, but it, it, the concept of autonomy, I think is so important in both because it's such a, um, it's, it's, it's needed for happiness and satisfaction at work. You know, if you have any threat to autonomy, it's, you just, you want to leave and you feel subjected to other people's rule and it's, it feels threatening. So I think in both cases, it's, it's really important. I think my mom is more like there's big systems that need to be reformed. And the physician I was working with is more like, um, you know, I can, I can take on the autonomy by myself mm-hmm. when it wasn't provided for me where I worked before. Right. That's a, that's a good illustration. And that's true. We can work in our small spheres and transform our, our small culture around ourselves, like in, in our own practice, right? Or we can look at it like you do, Patty, from this very kind of pull the camera back um, bird's eye view, mixing metaphors again, my specialty, um, and kind of look down at everything and kind of take take the whole picture in and then zero in on the things that we're seeing aren't right. Like this, this, um, this aspect of the culture doesn't work or this particular process isn't working or this person is toxic within this particular system. And that's that's hard work. It's very hard work. And we, we all know, all three of us know, and listeners know as well, that healthcare writ large in the United States specifically definitely has some issues going on right now during the pandemic. And, you know, Patty, have you been called on to lean in with any organizations that are specifically struggling vis-a-vis the COVID-19 pandemic? Are there, are there even more things going on or things coming to light right now? So with the, during the, the COVID pandemic, I have been more in touch with clients uh, by Zoom and by phone and of course, much of course, less right. travel. And uh, mm-hmm. I would say that the big things that I've been focusing on uh, have been the podcast. So, so trying to spend some time leveraging what I really believe in as far as uh, the ways that we can make a difference with organizational cultures. I, I've been going more uh, organization by organization where uh, I think at the end of last year, I thought it, it would be great to get this out there on a broader scale uh, and have it more accessible. Some of the, the things that I'm concerned about and some of the ideas that I have, I would love to have it out there uh, you know, in a, uh, for a wider audience rather than just organization by organization. The um, researcher that I mentioned earlier, Amanda Goodall, is a mm-hmm. lecturer at uh, the Cass Business School in London. And she reached out to me and asked if I would speak to her group of physicians at the Cass Business School. So she um, manages or runs a leadership development program for physician leaders. So I'll be giving a talk to them by Zoom. Excellent. Yeah. So, and then I've also had a group from the Middle East uh, reach out to me and uh, ask if I would um, do some leadership development and training virtually for a group of physicians uh, that are from all over the world, but they're in one hospital system in the Middle East. So it's been strange. It's been kind of a strange um, mix uh, of of doing my usual work in a different way, and then also having some other opportunities that are un- pretty unusual that have cropped up. 
Right. And, and COVID has brought to light possibly or thrown into relief some of the things that we knew were there, but now they're, they're like, they're, they're staring us right in the face. We can't deny them now. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's just so obvious. It, it? It, the really um, mean spirited approach mm-hmm. uh, in a, a lot of systems, uh, the, the callous attitude towards frontline healthcare workers. Um, it's, it's devastating. Well, really. thanks for being a change agent in that particular realm. Appreciate it. And, um, you know, Jamie, in terms of COVID, we we're just talking about your mom's work, how it's been affected by COVID. So <laughs> we all know that the pandemic kind of reared its ugly head earlier this year. And what was it? February, March, mm-hmm. 2020, you were in the midst of your you were just starting your fourth year of medical school or in the beginning of the fourth year. So um, just briefly, how has that impacted how you look at this profession you've chosen? How has COVID? Yeah. I think the way that it has, um, that we've all seen where healthcare work, healthcare people couldn't get uh, PPE that was appropriate and like the deaths that have been going on in uh, ICUs and emergency departments among people in healthcare. Um, it's been like both heartbreaking, but also kind of inspiring. Like what a, what a meaningful field to be a part of right now, you know, like the, so true. all eyes are on healthcare in the world right now. And so it, it matters. Like it's such a vacuum for uh, people to come into and, and change what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and what a what a, a an intense time to launch a career as a doctor, as a nurse, as a as a as a surgeon, as a social worker, mm-hmm. as a CNA, whatever it happens to be. What a time to enter into this world! Yeah, no and, kidding. Um, thanks for hanging in there. <laughs> um, so, as we begin to wrap up, and I really don't want to, but um, so Patty, you began as an internist. And at what point in your career, how long into your career was it that you started thinking like, hmm, I think I could have a bigger impact if I looked at it from this way. And I started looking at leadership. Was that recent? Was that quite some time ago? When did that transition happen? Yeah, pretty early in my career. Early. So I was, I was fairly satisfied with my internal medicine practice. I had wonderful patients, great colleagues, fantastic uh, medical assistant that I worked with. And, and then the leadership started, uh, you know, putting in place some uh, systemic changes and it had a huge impact on physicians and our practices, but it, but we weren't included in the decision-making. And, and I started to see some of my colleagues uh, jump ship, basically, and people that I was invested in, I'd helped recruit. And uh, so I noticed that, you know, our my medical license was important in order to have the uh, clinic open and advertise that mm-hmm. internists are here to take care of patients. But I didn't have the, uh, the autonomy or, or the authority that I needed to create a practice so that I could achieve the outcomes that I was responsible for. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the big soundbite as far as autonomy is everybody, whatever role they're in, you know, we have to have a level of authority and autonomy to meet the accountabilities that are on our shoulders. We do. And, mm-hmm. and that was something that I didn't have. So I thought I could either jump ship or, um, or get involved and then jump ship later if I couldn't make a difference. So I ended up running for the board, getting on the executive team and uh, overseeing the strategic HR uh, function in the organization. And, and really amazingly, uh, uh, we were able to make a huge difference in the physician satisfaction and in other outcomes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it was notable and, and really just launched me into being pretty fervent about uh, uh, wanting people to recognize that the organizational culture can be changed. If you, you know, it's really created at... Uh, largely at the top of the organization. And if it's toxic, it's important to tackle it at that level. That's, that's a wonderful trajectory. You went from internist physician to then becoming involved in leadership and then transitioning into, okay, now I'm going to actually 
teach and coach leadership from from a whole nother perspective, having been there myself. So I think that's a yes. great trajectory of the way you've, you've come into where you are now is with fake consulting. So one last question for you, Patty. Um, I don't want it to be the last one, but tell me just a little bit, tell us a, just a touching on this notion of your curriculum on neuroscience. How does this relate to all of it? Can you tie this, kind of put a bow on it with the neuroscience? Yes, and I think Jamie did a, a great job, uh, really. So the, the neuroscience is uh, so important because we're, our brains are wired, basically, to move you know, away from threat and toward reward. Right. And it's true not, it's true not only phys- just physically, but also socially or interpersonally. Mm-hmm. And so the uh, acronym that Jamie referred to, CARB, captures four areas where we can be threatened or rewarded at work. And I think it's a really useful tool. So CARB is clarity, autonomy, respect, and belonging. And, uh, and I think informal and formal leaders can really consider those four, th- four elements and make, diff- you know, make a change, make some significant changes in their, um, in their behavior, in their structure, in, uh, in how they interact with, uh, with their staff and their teams. And it can have a big impact on uh, the culture of a team or the culture of the whole organization. That's great. So it's clarity, autonomy, respect, and belonging. Right. That's carb. That's wonderful. And if you have any articles you've written or anything you'd like to share in the show notes about that particular, um, that way of looking at things, I'd love to include that in the show notes. Great. That would be wonderful. And, And Jamie, last question for you is, What's next? Um, when is your fourth year over first? It's over uh, June of 2021. June of 2021. And, and for those of us who don't really understand what happens, so once you finish your fourth year of medical school, you are then looking for a residency. Is that next? Residency. Yep, okay. exactly. So I'll apply to emergency medicine residency here in October. Mm-hmm. I'll go through an interview season and then in March um, we'll fingers crossed, match into a program Mm -hmm. um, that I'll start then in July 1st. And emergency medicine programs are three or four years of training, depending on where you go. So that's, that'll be wherever I end up, that'll be my next stop for a couple of years. And that could be in any region of the country based on the facilities or organizations that you choose to apply to and interview for. Exactly. So I'll choose where I apply. They'll choose if they want to interview me yet. And And that's interview season. That's what you're talking about. Yep, exactly. And then once you finish residency, just for any listeners who don't understand what happens then, once Mm -hmm. you finish, say say it's four-year emergency medicine residency, is that Mm -hmm. when you then enter the job market and you're just looking for a job as an ER doctor, as a physician? Yes. Okay. Yep. That's when you'd be able to do that. Wow. So you have another four years to go, but like you said, it's going to become more and more clinically oriented. You're going to enter into deep, detailed, intensive training in emergency medicine. Right. That's relevant to emergency medicine. That's in the specialty that I want to be doing. That's very exciting. So, um, Jamie, I know folks can find you at jamiekatuna.com. That's J-A-M-I-E, Katuna, K-A. TUNA.com. And we'll have you on Instagram. We'll have your link to your Instagram, which is Speak Out Medicine, which is an awesome feed. I recommend folks follow it. And Patty, you are at Fahey, well, Fay, which is F-A-H-Y, FayConsulting.com, correct? Correct. And on Instagram, you, I mean, on um, Twitter, you are Patty Fay MD, and that's P-A-T-T-Y, F-A-H-Y-M-D. Right. And then you're also on LinkedIn. We'll make sure we have all of your links in the show notes. And your podcast, can you tell us one more time the name of your podcast? It's called Licensed to Lead. And so uh, licensed has a D at the end. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's also on my website. So it's uh, fakeconsulting.com backslash podcast. We'll link to that as well. And we'll talk to Ted about um, Ars Longa Media (laughs) for Mm -hmm. you. And um, we'll have both of you back separately and or together in 2021. And um, Jamie, I definitely want to have you back when you finish school and you're, you're about to enter into your residency. I think that would be a great time to have you back. Cool. Yeah. Let's do it. 
Well, thank you so much. You both are absolutely incredible. Thank you so much. It's been great, Keith. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nurse Keith Show. And remember, the show notes will be at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 295. I hope you feel uplifted and empowered from this episode. And I encourage you to take inspired action every day in the interest of your personal and professional satisfaction and development. And head over to nursekeith.com for job listings, for resources, and for information about career coaching. The Nurse Keith Show is a member of Ars Longa Media, a collaborative network of podcasts and media entities whose aim is to add a humanistic touch to professional education, educate the public from a scientifically informed perspective, and improve lives by partnering to address social ills. Check it out at Ars Longa Dot media. That's A-R-S-L-O-N-G-A dot media. The Nurse Keith Show is also a proud member of the Health Podcast Network, along with uh, the New England Journal of Medicine, the Journal of the American Medical Association, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, the Mayo Clinic, and other stellar podcasters. It's one of the largest and fastest growing collections of authoritative high-quality podcast taking on the tough topics in health and healthcare with empathy, expertise, and a commitment to excellence. The Nurse Keith Show is adroitly produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting. And Mark Cappy Spiesen is our stalwart social media ringmaster. And I'm grateful to both Rob and Mark for keeping the wheels turning in the right direction. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful and windy Santa Fe, New Mexico. Jamie Katuna saying see you later from... Longmont, Colorado. And... Patty Faye bidding us adieu from Longmont also. All right. Well, thank you both so much. And we will catch everyone on the flip side. 